And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And we've got a guest today that uh, we featured in the magazine several years ago in our early days. I've been wanting to talk to him ever since. He popped up and... uh, and uh, so now we're going to talk, and it's uh, Gunther Dykman. He is, uh, well, he's originally from Germany, uh, became an Australian citizen, lives in Manila in the Philippines, is a photojournalist and documentary photographer, does some fine artwork. He does some really amazing stuff. So uh, when you're done, I'm going to encourage you to go see that article from, I believe it was 2014. We'll have a link in the show notes uh, to see his work. And some of his photos that we chose for the magazine years ago still haunt me. So I think that's, uh, oh, I shouldn't say haunt. Anyway, Gunter, or everyone calls him GD. So GD, welcome. Thanks for being with us again. Yeah. Hi, Bob. It's been a while. And thank you very much for having me uh, on again. That's appreciated. No, I, yeah, I'm really glad to. I, you know, I think we wanted to do this last year and, well, we couldn't have done it. Well, we could do this last year. We Last year, our featured photographers were all women, and uh, uh, which was a really good year. And uh, but uh, I wanted to get you back on as a featured photographer. In fact, he's going to be our feature in August of 2022. So uh, definitely, you know, make sure you you read that when it comes out. But so, Gunter. It's been a few years, uh, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into photography? I know you started out to be a paleontologist. Yeah, I used to uh, dig around in the earth and uh, look for fossils, and uh, that goes back way, way back when I used to live while I was in Germany. And then I left when I was, I think it was 21, when I left uh, Germany, went to Australia, it was one suitcase, basically and worked for a very large mining company over there and uh, did exploration geology. And then one thing led to another. Um, that goes back many, many, many moons, uh, about, you know, 40-plus years. So, yeah, traveling in the outback in Australia was quite very interesting, particularly for me at the time. And uh, I was so fascinated by the landscape, by the harshness or the contrast that I uh, bought myself a camera and uh, started taking pictures. And then after a while, I looked at the pictures once they got processed, and I said, oh, wow, they don't look so bad. And I bought some photography magazines, and, you know, I looked at the the images in these magazines, and I thought, wow. Mine were pretty much, you know, the same quality or equally. <laughs> and uh, even though I had a great job in exploration geology, I was running actually the exploration department in Darwin, Australia, uh, for a few years. And I decided from one day to the next day I resigned and became a photographer. So wow. uh, it was like really jumping in the cold water. And the first five years was very tough. And then as things developed and things went on, I had a few breaks, I had a couple of time, I won a few awards, and then Stern hired me as their stringer in Australia, Stern magazine from Germany, and uh, yeah, then German Geo, and so on, and so on, and yeah, it snowballed from there. So that was pretty much the beginning of it. And then I never sort of looked back the first five years after dropped my job with the exploration uh, company. The first five years were very tough, but uh, I pushed through it. And them days, uh, it was a lot easier to work with stock images or selling stock images or get published. And my break basically came and I had Stern <laughs> supporting me. And uh, I did a lot, a lot of stories, big stories, on you know, 10, 10 pages in Stern magazine. So. That really got me going. Yeah, and then it developed from there. And I traveled all over Asia. And then one day, you know, I decided, okay, I mean, if I live in Australia or in Asia, because I love Asia. So since then, then I settled in Manila and been here now 30 plus years. Uh, 
It was very close to go to Cambodia, which I love, by the way. And I go there every year, except for the last two or three. And India and, and Sri Lanka and, and all the places, Vietnam, all the places. Right. So I, I usually go out, you know, three, four times a year. Wow. You know, so I developed a base here. And since then, I've been living, you know, more or less in Manila, just to, you know, to give you a quick wrap on that. Uh, I still work for magazines now and then, but it's getting less and less. So uh, I've done a few books. Uh, in Australia, primarily, I did a big book. You probably remember Journeys Through Color and Time that mm -hmm. I published in 2006. It was a very big hardcover book. Uh, I've done some other guidebooks. Uh, and that one was a big hardcover book. I've done some other ones in Australia. So, yeah, and that's sort of like a uh, bit of commercial work, so that kept me alive, and then our pandemic hit. Surprise. Yeah, so <laughs> the thing with that was that I moved from my previous uh, location only about six months prior to the pandemic. I was living in a different area before, but then I decided it was too big for me, so I moved out of there. And I lived there, I'd lived there for a long time, and I decided to move in a smaller place. And uh, one of my sons, my older son, actually went out looking for an apartment. And what happened uh, when we found it, we went around, I looked at one or two I didn't like, and then we found this apartment. I said, oh, oh this is great. And it even got a balcony. And I didn't sort of, uh, put much importance in the beginning on it, but I always like to have something where I can sit outside, even if I'm in a high rise now. But so, but the apartment in general was good, it was new, everything was good, so I moved in. And then, as I moved in here, of course, I spent some time on the balcony, uh, and as I start getting really familiar with it, I realized. Uh, the potential which I could get from the balcony. So I start making images from the balcony prior, prior the uh, pandemic, and I had a good view below and in into the street. But the most incredible thing was I'm facing west, and I get the sunsets. And you know I'm not really a sunset guy who shoots sunsets <laughs> all the time. I'm a bit sunset out, but. Uh, I was more interested in the unusual ones. And the storm clouds being on the 10th floor are very close to me. And I get storms coming over during the wet season, which I love. My, my prime time when I go out even to Cambodia, uh, it's always doing right in the beginning at the wet season or in the middle of it. I like the monsoon. Mm. I, I like the different view and the different feel. Uh, mm -hmm. So becoming also, it's a non-tourist season, so less people around, and I like to see people what they're doing in the rainy season, which can be hardship, hardship at times, pouring rain, flooded areas. Even in Australia, I did that. I deliberately go out in places where I know I can get maybe stuck for a while, but I always love that uh, little bit adventurous part, the unknown discover the undiscovered. So coming back to my balcony, uh, it was like, uh, as I mentioned, it facing west. And, you know, I couldn't, you know, it was incredible what came over the top. Uh, besides the thunderstorms, the lightning storms, the drama in that, uh, the cloud formation. So it was not just the sunsets, which can be very dramatic and beautiful here, but the whole mix of it. Mm. So that got me going in the beginning, and I start, I go out on the weekends and sit on the balcony or stand there and take photographs from the balcony. And in the beginning, I was like just killing time when I was at home, when I was not traveling. What, uh, oh, I'm sorry. What, now, what floor did you say you're on? The, How high I'm, are you? On the 10th floor. Oh, 10th floor. Okay, tenth so floor, you're yeah. pretty high up. Yeah. So... My the building is only 13th floor, so uh, there's two more on top of me, but I was on the 10th. And again, the, the visual, uh, the view from there is quite good. 
but not having realized that so much in the beginning. As I said, I only went out there once in a while, took some nice pictures if the light was good, or looked down the street. Uh, but the street actually came lighter a bit. In the beginning, it was just the clouds rolling in, the moon sets. I get the moon set, not the moon rise. I don't see the moon rise. So, but the moon set usually is early in the morning. But uh, I managed to get a few shots like that. Very nice ones. So then came the big sledgehammer. Let's call it mm -hmm. that. It, the yeah, pandemic. That's a good description. Uh, and it hit everybody right and square. And, uh, you know, it sort of hit us here. I was actually in Cebu and another part of the Philippines, another big city. Uh, I went there. I was there on assignment. And uh, two weeks after I got back, the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, that was pretty much it. We were not allowed to go out. Uh, we had some very stringent uh, restrictions in place in the beginning. I mean, they locked down almost everything. You hardly can go down to the, because of my age also, uh, we hardly can go out to the grocery stores or the, the Mercury drugstore. Uh, but that was just about it. So we were pretty much locked away. We had complete lockdowns uh, with, you know, a police controlling the streets below. So we were stuck. I mean, really stuck. And then, of course, you know, me, who likes to cruise around, and I love walking. I mean, when I was in Calcutta in India, I walked, you know, 10, 12, 15 kilo kilometers in the morning and the same in the evening or late afternoon. I enjoy sure. that. I love it because that's when you get the images, when you walk. Uh, but here, all of a sudden, I was in a small apartment, medium-sized apartment, with a balcony. So I really was stuck. And then one day, I thought to myself, hang on a minute, see what I can come up with working the balcony harder besides your storms, besides the sunset, or besides the storm uh, clouds coming in. So I start, you know, focusing more on the street life, what's happening below. And then I realized when I look downstairs, I have a road running right below my building, and then there's an intersection just to the left, which the road leads uh, west, and I can see that road all the way up to the end. And then I realized uh, what actually happened now. So I start focusing on that. So I start making images at, uh, at nighttime, you know, life in the street, even though there was not much life, though, because we had lockdowns. But when mm -hmm. it eased up a bit and they released a little bit of the pressure of the lockdowns, you know, you can see people who were allowed to go or, you know, there's certainly definitely things happening. So I start shooting more and more and more. In the beginning, it was like, okay, uh, just to keep me busy and not going mentally insane. You know? <laughs> so I kept clicking away and click clicking away. And then what happened after a while, I said, well, this is getting really interesting now. Uh, and what I did do then, I put some images in Facebook and, and so on and Instagram. And all of a sudden, I got an enormous amount of feedback. <laughs> and uh, I thought, hang on a minute, maybe I'm onto something. So I even went up one notch and said, no, I'm going to take this even further. And then we hit the monsoon. The monsoon season came. That coming now, the first time, the first monsoon hit us around June, July. And then my favorite time when I wasn't out there, I was stuck on the balcony. And I start shooting people in the rain. Uh, enormous storm, storms coming over, uh, people in the streets with umbrella, without umbrella. It was just amazing. And uh, I start getting more and more into it. I got so wet at times, even though I have an <laughs> overhang, that, uh, you know, I could have taken a shower, would have been the same thing. And I described that in the book. So... I kept pumping these images into Facebook and Instagram, and the response was just incredible. 
And then one day, I have forgotten how somebody starts saying, why don't you make a book? And I said, hang on a minute, maybe there, maybe there is something. So I went one more notch up and really start pumping away almost daily. Or when I looked outside and something happened, I actually, I really got into it. And then, of course, Manila being a big metropolis, uh, you get, Manila is very prone for fire. So one morning, for example, uh, my son who was staying with me, uh, the middle one, Jason, knocked on my door even though I was up already. Uh, fire engines and sirens. And, you know, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And I said, my God, what's going on? So, of course, I went to the balcony and uh, had a look and just a stone throw, physically a stone throw away from me. It was a huge fire. And the whole road mm. was blocked with fire engines. And that fire lasted until 6.37 in the morning. And uh, the amazing thing was when they had it under control around about 6.30 and the smoke was still there, the moon was setting behind the smoke. Mm. So all of a sudden, images came. They, my philosophy always has been, and it's always like that, I don't chase, I'm not chasing things. I'm not running. Even though I see something, I'm not going to run after it. I let it come to me. And mm -hmm. that has proven now to be the main key when I was stuck on the balcony. I mean, the balcony is only about three meters per meter and a half. So it's not oh. a huge balcony. Um, yeah. And so when after the fire and many, many other things happening, I really got really deeply into it. And, um, you know, the finishing, well, it's still not finished. I'm still going on the balcony now, even though we have less restrictions. But I love my balcony. And it's never boring. It is always something there, always something up. And, you know, believe it or not, it's like it even surprised me. I sometimes see things which I didn't see two years ago. And I said, hang on a minute. Either maybe it was the light at the time or now or whatever. But there's always something new. And uh, I was surprised, surprised myself, and it became a challenge, actually, to come up with as many different subjects, if it's in the street, if it's vendors, or even two dogs having sex and somebody walked by. I mean, from the humor, uh, it went from the humor to, um, to the drama to the sad, from the fires. Uh, you know, people pushing carts loaded up just by themselves, because one of my streets has a slight, it's slightly leap. So if they come that way, they've got to push uphill. So it's like, uh, it was a kaleidoscope of, of, I mean, a total uh, mix of everything. And as I said, it was like, I can walk out there probably now um, and see something which I didn't see. Another yeah. night, another night I got woken up, also, around 3 or 4 in the morning, I heard a big noise. And I said, okay, let me check it out. By that time, I was really geared up for my balcony, mind you. <laughs> so I walked out, and uh, I saw this guy right below me. He had a tricycle, and he had it loaded up this recycled cardboard, and it crashed. And all that cardboard was thrown over the street. And he was sitting there, and his pitch darkness except one street light it was pitch darkness and he's trying to put it all back together so i grabbed the camera and of course you know these sort of uh situations particularly at night become challenging uh from the photography point of view so as i said it was it's a never-ending never-ending thing okay so you're in a i mean you're in a small space you got a you know balcony's not not real big and i, I mean i I know people, uh, myself included, they live in one city and they photograph a lot around that city. And after a while, they say, there's nothing to shoot here, you know. And, you know, maybe they go travel or whatever, or maybe they stop photographing. But you, you're stuck there. You can't even leave. You're in this. Uh, what do you say is like three meters long? It's about three meters. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at it now. It's about three yeah. meters, about a meter and a half. 
Yeah. So, you know, you've got the same view every day and you can't leave for like, I don't know, well over a year. Right. Yeah. And, and did you ever like walk out there and say, gee, I'm just sick of taking photographs no, from actually, here. And, it, and, and then, okay, well, <laughs> maybe that's not it. Then, you know, how did you get over it? But it doesn't sound like that was the case. Actually, yeah, it's a good question. You said, no, I never got sick of it. Actually, I never, not once, not even now. Um, I would say ah, I couldn't be bothered anymore. No, it's like uh, it, the, the balcony became a second platform somehow. But I understand now something too, um, which maybe I was aware of before because I said I never chasing, I never even before, even when I'm in the street, I do not chase things or deliberately run after things. Uh, I usually let everything come to me and I take my time. And that, as I said earlier, it's proven to be the key. But no, I'm not bored and I'm not sick and tired of it. And I went out earlier, actually about half an hour ago, the moon, the crest moon was just sitting over the city. I've seen it, but I still get excited. Uh, so the excitement and the energy is still there. And uh, I'm took, I made a count actually, during the two and a half years now, it's been, uh, I took 18,000 images. Wow. And out of 18,000 images, I then cut them back to around 2,600, I think we are now. And then from there, I had the crazy, which was the painful part. Uh, the crazy part was to bring that down then to about uh, 168 or something like that, which I ended up using in the book. So that was the top part. Yeah. And yes. the mammoth, I bet the actual physical images I shot is probably 18,000 plus. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. Did you have all the gear you needed to be able to yep. photograph from that distance? Yeah, I was uh, lucky. Uh, in yeah. that sense, I was well prepared because in the street, uh, I use different uh, lenses. But in this mm -hmm. particular case, the 200s, definitely 400 up to 800 I used for some very dramatic images. Uh, wow. The widest, I mean, I did some wide shots, but not that wide. Probably running around 28 mil, but very few. But the majority mm -hmm. were shot anything upwards 85 because, you know, I'm on the uh, dance floor. And if I want to do the street, uh, then, of course, if I want to isolate certain subjects or maybe an umbrella walking by or somebody fell over or like the two dogs I mentioned to you earlier, mm -hmm. uh, I needed something a bit longer. So then 200 even up to 800 uh, I had to use. Uh, you might find this very interesting, and I'm not trying to be proud of it, but I might make a point out of it, is by saying, except for maybe all that time, there's maybe less than 10% I'd use the tripod. Really? Even with an 800? <laughs> yes, because the problem is, you know, you're on the 10th floor, you're on the balcony. And mm -hmm. the, the uh, front part, you cannot, doesn't matter, the tripod, you cannot look down. You actually have mm -hmm. to hang over. Uh, yeah. And things are happening quickly in the street. So if you want to get yeah. the candid images to get the tripod, it's like you've spoken street photography. You don't use the tripod for street photography. You have shoot from the hip or you have to be very quick in reaction, mm -hmm. reaction time. or think ahead and wait for something happen in front of you. But 
tea on the balcony was crazy. There's no way uh, I could have used a tripod. The only time I did use it, we had some some heavy storms, some heavy lightning. Yeah, I put it up then, but that's from all the images, probably less than 10%. All yeah. the other ones are taken by hand. I, of course, I can rest my arms on, on the ledge of the balcony. And one particular image, I used a slight wide angle for that. That is behind me. There was a building behind me. And I really have to lean over. I almost killed myself doing that one. But a rainbow came up. And it was the only rainbow I ever seen. And I said, oh, my God, I love rainbows. I got them in Cambodia. I got them in Australia. So I needed that image. So I went a bit crazy. I don't recommend that. And I was leaning over a bit just <laughs> to get that one building, which was, you know, I really had to hang over and shot it more or less with one hand. Uh, to get that, and it turned out to be very nice. In effect. <laughs> yeah, so that was like, uh, it was a little bit adventurous at times, and particularly when it's really start raining. Uh, I mean, you know, when we get monsoon coming down, when it comes down, it comes down in buckets. Yeah. And uh, well, though I'm protected sort of from my balcony, but the problem is I do get soaking, soaking wet. and. Uh, you know, the cameras got drenched, the lenses got drenched, I got drenched, soaking wet. Okay, it's nice and warm even when it's raining, so it's okay. But uh, I might as well take the cameras and myself into the shower. Same effect. So it was, uh, then I photographed raindrops coming in the front. And I mean, it's like I got birds landing on my neighbors. Uh, there was some uh, pigeons or some, uh, some other uh, swallows sitting there twerking away i got them plus the jeepneys below uh so there was birds i had uh, which very close to me might be sitting on my neighbor's ledge one floor below or my house guests the geckos i got some beautiful shots of them all on the balcony so it's like uh it was a never-ending story actually wow and then you made a book out of it yeah and then i made a book out of it <laughs> So tell us about the book. Well, the book is 192 pages. And yeah. um, unfortunately, I was trying to look for a publisher. But these days, uh, if I would have done what I'd done here in Manila, if I would have done that in New York or Paris, it mm -hmm. probably would have been a bestseller. But because Manila, not that many people internationally have such a big interest, even though uh, when the book was finally finished, uh, and I explained that to you in a minute, uh, it was had great reviews, so it was great, and everybody who received the copy that went gaga, so they all loved it. But because of the publishing industry and the actual heart mm -hmm. of the printing, it was very difficult to convince a publisher. I had somebody in Germany who was interested in the beginning, and they were tossing and turning. I haven't given up hope, mind you. Uh, and it's definitely something it can be considered. Maybe not in that size. Maybe even a publisher will pick it up. It might they make it maybe a little bit small, a bit smaller, or they change the format slightly, which I'm okay with. But uh, so what I did, I had no choice, and I said, never mind. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this book, Rhino Shine. I spent now two years, two and a half years on this freaking balcony. So I'm going <laughs> to uh, do something. And even if it's just for myself, I don't care. So I produced it by a blurb. And, really? Uh, yeah. And I must say, uh, I'm not plugging blurb by any way, any means, but what I've done since I know the industry and I know uh, production and things like that very well, uh, mm -hmm. I don't have problems with color and all of that, so uh, it wasn't a big, it wasn't rocket science for me. I'm very good with layout and things like that. So what I done, uh, I put it all together. I used my own layout. I, you know, didn't necessarily follow their templates. Uh, put it all together. Then I shipped it out and said, sent me a copy before it was even known that I did that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see how color and everything came out. And I was so surprised and shockingly and pleasantly surprised uh, that the color came out exactly the way I wanted it, which 
Yeah. And I am very much color conscious, as you know. I'm, I'm a color yeah. guy. I'm not a black and white guy. Though I love black and white, but uh, I'm definitely a color guy. So for me, color was crucial. So when I got the copy, I made some minor adjustment on the text, tweaked a few things. And then when I sent the feelers out for some pre-copies, pre-sales, and that went pretty good. I had a couple of companies who bought in a few books. Yeah, and so it went from there. So I had a reasonable good order together, and then I pressed the button and it was done. So now you still can get it, but unfortunately the price is much higher unless you wait for blurb discounts, and they do have these discounts, 35%, yeah. 40%. Uh, so it's still available. So I call this basically a limited edition. It was purely done in the beginning for my sake, for my own satisfaction, and not going and not trying to go inside. I did a project which I wanted to do, and in the end, I couldn't care less about it, even if I would have only done two books. But we turned out so far, about 100 got sold so far, so it was quite good, and uh, they're still available. But it's a So you just go to Blurb? And At the moment, but if I can, of course, if I can find a publisher who mm -hmm. wants to look at it, it's available anytime. I mean, I have all the sure. artwork, I have all the images, so that's not a problem. And um, the good thing was, Eric Miola, I mean, the name probably, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Eric is probably one of the guys in the US. Uh, good friend, which my old friend, Pete Turner. Because Pete Turner and me going back a long time. Pete Turner and me used to be very good friends and unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And friends with Steve, Steve Krongard and a few of the other guys. Uh, and Eric Miola ordered the copy and without looking at it and without saying, he came back, soon he received it, he came back and wrote one hell of a compliment. And he posted wow. it on Facebook and he says, uh, if uh, to quote him, he said, if uh, Jay Maisel would probably swap that place with his balcony. This Gunter's balcony. <laughs> so he even mentioned Jay Maisel, and Jay Maisel, of course, that goes without saying, uh, you know, Jay, Jay is something else. But mm -hmm. uh, Eric really gave it a big push, a super push. Wow. That's. High praise indeed. Yeah, I was he, that actually did more for me than anything else. I mean, I can imagine. For me, it was like uh, even the publishers were not so hot, but uh, <laughs> but never mind. It's their loss, not mine. <laughs> I look at it yeah, like yeah. that. Well, he he made one of my favorite photos of all time. Bruce Springsteen. Yes, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah the yeah, Born to Run yeah, cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just yeah, Eric and me go back a long time because oh, Eric yeah. Eric I didn't been, know that. Been together with Pete Turner, of course, and Pete, Pete and me being good friends. Um, so we have a connection there, but I never asked Eric to write about it. He just yeah, ordered the copy, he paid for it like everybody else. Uh, I shipped it over to him, uh, and he came back within three, four days and wrote this incredible write up, which just really rocked the chair over here. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so that, that is gave me, of course, now even more cloud that, you know, it is, I believe it is an achievement. I did something, but I did it. There was probably two reasons. I mean, I was driven by pure uh, excitement or in, not in the beginning. I mean, I knew when I realized I had this balcony and I, I, I realized what somebody can actually, what you can actually do if you confine in such a small space, if you look for it, or you know, you keep looking for things and doing it constantly. And this was a long constant. This was like two and a half years, you know. Yeah, when the pandemic started, I remember they said, Okay, so everybody just stays home for fourteen days. Yeah. This thing could be over. Yeah. But no two and a half years yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. So uh, let me ask you this about uh, about the process of making a book. A lot of people want to make books, and and they they don't know where to start. But I mean, you're obviously you say yeah, you're a color guy. You're you know your color photos are are amazing. 
you know, so it's got to be right. I mean, do you, working with Blurb, I mean, do you have to, uh, do you have like color profiles? Do you have to profile your monitor? Yeah, they'll give you a profile, basically, you could use, but I didn't do that. Uh, I used my own method. Um, But the key is for anybody who wants to do something serious, if you just want to do something for home use or for family, uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. You can just throw that in and, and put it. But if you want to get more serious and you want really the quality, uh, the paper is an issue. I use good paper. Uh, mm-hmm. The size is up to individual. I went very big. I went 13 by 11 inches. That's big. Oh, wow. I, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a big book. Uh, but then I needed that. So, again, it was for my, even for my own satisfaction. So the thing is with... Putting it together really is the, um, you need to know a little bit about color and you need to mm-hmm. have a reasonable good monitor. I'm not saying you need to buy a $5,000 monitor now. You can actually do it on the laptop, on the Retina. Uh, MacBook Pro would do fine if you know the settings on that. Uh, you can easily match it quite easily. Uh, but for me, the most important thing is, if you want to take it serious and you want to actually produce something, do one copy first. Uh-huh. Make sure yeah. you have everything you think looks great on your screen, but then make it one printed. Now, it might cost you a couple of hundred bucks, but that is a lot of saving in the long term. Oh, yeah. And will make all the difference. A lot of people skip on that process, and I think that should not be skipped. It's basically a proof. Mm-hmm. So sure. uh, a printed proof copy. And then if it turns out the first time around, it turns out great, well, you have another, then you order another one, and then, of course, you go with it. But uh, then you have two copies in the end. Right? But that is my absolutely, I highly recommend that. If I do another one, I will definitely go that way. I see. So you, I've heard that it's difficult to use a retina screen for, uh, you know, when you're going to print something. And uh, no, what not, settings do you have? To, well, the thing uh, is like this. I have my screen set up on, uh, you drive it all the way up to the top. For example, the brightness. I drive it all the way up to the top and bring it down two notches. And that's... Brightness, you said? Yeah, and I work yeah. on that. Now, there's another trick here. Uh, usually, in Blurp, in this case, they're printing CMYK, but the problem is uh, a lot of people, they start converting RGB into CMYK, and they don't know. They're not familiar yeah. with that. And uh-huh. that's where the problem starts. Uh, in, I, I can do it. I know exactly how, but mm-hmm. for somebody who's not experienced, I don't recommend that. So I recommend it. Uh, my recommendation is, uh, definitely 300 dpi, that's clear, if you want quality. Uh, and definitely, uh, before you pull them out of Photoshop, uh, add a little sharpening to it, maybe 10% or 20%, okay? And the other thing, the most important, use the sRGB profile. Really? Okay. Yeah, because if you use RGB, RGB, I work on all my image design RGB. I'm usually not an sRGB guy because sRGB usually is for the web. But if you convert uh, a sRGB into CMYK, you almost see zero differences. However, if you convert an RGB to CMYK on the screen, you see Uh big shifts. Ah. But if you use sRGB, you put the sRGB profile in and it changes. Then you tweak it and bring it back what you want it to be. And then you're sweet. Interesting. And therefore, you can control it. And you can use high-end JPEGs. That's perfectly okay. Use the highest setting, 12 uh, exporter must JPEGs. Because if you send them normally, I would do it in TIFF. But in this case, I went for high JPEGs. Compression is almost you know it's at the highest setting yeah but that uh, i did was all the images just like that and i controlled that 
very well. So what I did actually, I had RGB. I put the sRGB profile in, and if they shifted a little bit, because I knew that's exactly what would happen. If you do the same, if you, for example, go from RGB to CMYK, would say you have one image and you convert that, or not every image. Some images depends on the colors in it, uh, particulars on the blues and the greens. All of a sudden, the blue get dull. You go mm. from an RGB to CMYK, the blues will really go look. Flat. Now, but if you make an sRGB, you can still tweak it afterwards and then bring it back and it works perfectly. So that's how I basically control the color part of it. And I must yeah. say, when I asked for my proof copy, uh, I didn't have to do any corrections as far as color is concerned, not one single image. Uh, the only corrections I did made, I, I did a typo here and a layout was misaligned a bit. Other than that, I was good. Uh, did you use, um, did you do, do this in InDesign or did you use the template? That, I used that, uh, the, gives? yeah, I used the uh, book right, which comes with mm -hmm. Blur. However, yeah. they, they have options of templates, but I cheated. I pretty yeah. much did my own. Because the layout I wanted, that was certainly not available. Like, you can use it as a starting point, but I moved that around a bit and, and manipulated that so uh, in order to, uh, you know, to get it right. So uh, the way I want it. Oh, that's, uh, that's really helpful. We're, we're getting ready to do, do some printing. And... Uh... Neither one of us are experienced in the print world, so it's good good to hear how to do that. And it's good for everybody else to hear as well. Yeah, very helpful. Um, and, you know, you can convert him into CMYK, but I don't recommend it for people who are not familiar with it. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a tricky one. Uh, and the image size will increase by one-third. You know, so you're dealing now with then a much bigger uh, file size. The whole book, you know, my book was already big, but I mean, if you do doing smaller books, is not so critical. But my size and 160 plus images, 192 pages, uh, yeah, that was quite something. Let me ask you this: uh, I know you didn't do this, but if you were gonna, if you want wanted to include somebody else's photo in your book, yeah, what would you? How would you want them to send that to you? How what, what would you want them to do on you, their end? Do you want well, to send you the, the if raw? Somebody, or, yeah, if somebody yeah. sends me an image, uh, and I would like to see it in RGB, definitely, definitely Serena DPI RGB. Now they can send it to me in JPEG, high res JPEG, the highest setting. That's be the compression on twelve, uh, on the back. And but definitely it's in a DPI and definitely an RGB. Just a, and then you'll take it from yeah, there. RGB is the key. Uh, you you got to remember when we make images, they're all being created on RGB, and the sRGB came only in liner because of the 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 web basically. So and it worked out that the difference between the sRGB and the CMYK is very, very close. Uh, the thing is, the, the most important thing is don't mess around with the uh, JPEG images too much. When you, for mm -hmm. example, uh, I'll give you a good example. I'm out in the field, I'm running out of memory cards, and I have to switch over to JPEGs, normally I yep. draw, uh, to get more images on. Uh, what I do uh, later on, I download them, and if I can see I have a JPEG file, which is a really great shot or a really good one, say, uh, I immediately put that aside, convert it into or save it as a TIFF. Then I will mm -hmm. mess around with it if I have to. Okay. Uh, but because if you keep going back and forth on a JPEG, it loses. It's a compression yeah. file, so it keeps throwing things away. Yeah, yeah it makes total sense. And now tell us the name of the book. It's the Views from My Balcony. Views from My Balcony. And... All shot during the uh, pandemic. Every and, single image is being taken from that one single location. 
Nothing was somebody anyone else. And if somebody wanted to buy a copy, you've got a you link to a page on Blurb. Views from my balcony, and it pops up in Blurb. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll get you know for the article. We'll get the direct link. Yeah. And put yeah, it in the article. So yeah. Sure. Make it easy. Yeah. <laughs> make it easy. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds very interesting. So what? So what's up next for you? Um, you've been sitting inside for a while. You yeah, guys can get I, out. Now? I I went down the road a bit and did some street photography the other week, and I'm going to do that also until I go to Cambodia. Uh, but I'm really targeting Cambodia now because, as I said, it's almost my second home. I love Cambodia, and I really need to get back into serious shooting when I'm over there. Here, I'm going to take it a bit easy, but I do go down the streets and mosey around and find things to do. <laughs> and in Cambodia, you, you have a project going on there? Or? No, not really, but I, again, I'm, I'm, I've been going there for the last 30 years, and I got some amazing images from Cambodia. So yes. a few areas, there's a few areas I need to fill in yet, but I almost got everything Cambodia, what you can possible can get, but there's a few loose ends you might want to say, uh, I have to tidy up and uh, I'm going to do that in these three weeks. So very precise. I know exactly where I'm going. And then I might put a book together. Because with Cambodia, I can really do something very special. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I'd be looking forward to seeing that when, when you make that happen. How long did it take you to, to put views from my balcony together? Well, I was shooting most of the time and actually putting it together. Yeah. Um, Once you had the final 190 images. Well, I got it out. It came out basically in September. I had it delivered in September, October. I finished it probably in August, all, in, all the months of August, July, mm -hmm. August. Oh, yeah, so pretty quick. Yeah, but I did editing in between. Already, keep throwing things out. I mean, of course, the eighteen thousand images I took—they're uh, not there anymore. So I'm very ruthless and I'm very brutal. Uh, I'm one of the yeah no nonsense guys when it comes to that. if I don't like it, it goes in the garbage can. I don't keep it because it eats yeah. up storage, and I don't want to look at stuff I don't like. So uh, I reduce them as I go, as I shoot. And, uh, you know, I ended up now, I still have 2,600 images, which are usable images mm -hmm. from the balcony out of the 18,000. That's a very high percentage. Yeah. But then I brought that to seven down to, uh, I love dotted doubles, and I always try to do vertical and horizontal for, you, uh -huh. know, you never know when you need a vertical or horizontal, if it's possible. It's not always possible. Uh, like storms, for example, I do try to do vertical and horizontal whenever it's possible. But, uh, you know, out of the two, uh, two seven, I ended up with 165 or 68 images. And uh, now I got some images I wish I wouldn't have put the book together. <laughs> that, came out, that was too late. But that, it's like the same old thing. you got to draw the line someday, you know, otherwise yeah. you never finish it, you know. But, it is. You have to abandon it eventually. It gets to show you the, the variety. I mean, I will send you a link just for the 2007, uh, only for the 200 plus images. And I can send you the link also with the 2000 plus. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can have a look. I mean, if you have the time, but it, the variety is just totally mind boggling. I never expected to get that from one location. It's amazing. Yeah. It really you know, when, you're, when you have no choice, you have to be inventive. Yeah, and the eyes all of a sudden start to see things which, uh, you know, I thought, wow, you know. And again, what really, really paid off was my philosophy in the end. Let it come to you. Because how can I chase things from the balcony? Unless I jump, can't. Unless yeah. jump over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was Don't do that. Don't do that. So uh, everything came to me, uh, and it's amazing. Patient, you know, and really sitting there 
And of course, I go out and check on the weather all the time. So, you know, and see what's happening downstairs. Or I hear noise or fire sirens. So I do go out. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that was pretty much it. So, Gunther, GD, sorry about that. <laughs> no, if problem. somebody, my, uh, my, my mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no big deal. Anyway, uh, so if somebody wants to get more information about you, about what you're doing, and particularly about your book, where would they go on the internet to find it? Yeah, basically it's very easy. You can find everything on my website, which is gdeichmann-photo.com. Easy enough. And then, of course, you've got Instagram. You're doing a lot on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. And uh, then we'll just include those links as well in the show notes. Yep. So people can come and find you. Yep. Now, on my uh, website, it's pretty much you get also from my website, you can get to Photo Shelter as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, where I store all my images. Yeah. And you've got a ton on Photo Shelter. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. You got a huge body of work. And I, and I recommend everyone go check it out because you just have done some amazing things over the years. And, uh, and they'll see more of your work in our magazine in August. Yeah, well, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We can put something very interesting together. And yeah, shot from exactly. one location, from my balcony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and in, the, in that article, we'll be doing a video, and you'll actually be walking us through some of your work okay. and telling yeah, us the I'm story behind it. I'm yeah, that's wonderful. That. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Gunther, GD, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. I'm much appreciated. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. <music>